Let us pray. God of us all, uh, take our ears and hear through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Well, as Kurt said, it is uh, hard these days to know what is normal anymore. Uh, on Wednesday, I had a contractor come to my house, and as he walked up the front steps, he kind of pointed and, like, is it normal for us to wear masks in your house? I'm like, mm, yeah, it is normal. It is normal. Uh, even here, when we greet each other, are we shaking hands? Are we hugging? Are we bumping fists? Elbows? What is it? It's hard to know because whatever was normal before the pandemic has largely fallen by the way. We've been in this liminal season long enough that old habits, old patterns, old norms have uh, largely been disrupted. Uh, we never used to wear masks anywhere. Uh, we never used to know who the head of the CDC was and we didn't particularly care. Um, we always had lots of kids here at PMC on Sunday mornings. Uh, we, used, we had potlucks downstairs, and, and we would get packed in tight as sardines, and it was a blast. But not now. And it's not like COVID is, is an isolated phenomenon. It's not like it's an outlier after which global conditions are just going to sort of revert to what they used to be. Uh, in these last 20 months, uh, we've seen wildfires, and we now understand the growing impacts of global climate change. Uh, George Floyd was murdered. And there's been a renewed uh, push for racial justice and the predictable backlash. Personal divisions, political divisions have only grown deeper. Life has changed, the world has changed, we have changed. But now, we're sort of, maybe, we think, we hope, on the trailing edge of this pandemic. And when we're through it, whatever that means, a new normal will emerge. And there's some things that we're going to revert to and pick up again pretty quickly. Uh, I've been watching the playoffs on television. If you've been watching college football, we very quickly went back to filling up stadiums and packing in houses. Um, some things have changed, though. They're going to stay changed. I'm pretty sure that we're going to have a lot of meetings online from this day forward. But whatever it looks like, a new normal will emerge. What I worry about, though, is that if we're not careful, Whatever the prevailing patterns, whatever the prevailing pressures are, those will shape us. And sort of by default, we will easily settle into whatever's convenient, whatever's conventional. But if we let that happen, uh, we will have missed an opportunity. Back at the beginning of this pandemic, I remember reading something that Sonia Renee Taylor wrote. She wrote, our pre-corona existence was not, not normal other than we normalized greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, rage, hoarding, hate, and lack. We should not long to return, my friends. We are being given the opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all humanity and nature. So it's a critical time for us to be thoughtful, to be intentional, to strive to be faithful. And it starts by asking the question, what do we even mean when we say normal? What is normal? And there are a lot of layers to that question. Uh, it has to do with how you roll up your toothpaste and how you fold your towels. What is normal? It's a, it's a question a lot of young parents ask. Is it normal for my kid to cry this much? Is it normal for my kid to poop this much? And usually the answer is yes. Uh, is it normal for my kid to be this shade of yellow? 
Well, normally the answer is no. You might want to get that one checked out. Uh, I'm sort of at the other end of that timeline now. So I find myself wondering, is it normal for me to have trouble recalling the name of someone I've known for quite a while? And I actually hope the answer to that is yes. Yes, that is normal. Uh, is it normal for me to wake up most mornings with pain in my back? I'm afraid the answer to that one is, yeah, that's normal too. But I want us to look at this question, what is normal, through a wider angle lens. So think of the history that you've read. Think of what you've seen in the news. Think of what you expect for the future. What is normal? Well, looking through that wide angle lens, um, war seems to be normal. I mean, the United States just got out of a 20-year war in Afghanistan. And the truth is, this country doesn't need to be in Afghanistan anymore to fight wars. War is fought remotely these days. You can fight a war in Afghanistan from the comfort of an air-conditioned office using drones down in Southern California. And some writers in the field of evolutionary biology are even suggesting that we are hardwired for war. Is war normal? Through the run of history, uh, scarcity seems to be normal. Even Jesus, uh, later on in Matthew, Matthew 26, says you always have the poor with you. And these days, scarcity is the basis of our capitalist economy, right? Supply and demand. There's a reason that McDonald's makes their McRib sandwich scarce, because when they add it back to the menu, big pent-up demand. That scarcity makes them a lot of money. Oppression. Oppression seems normal. Certainly in the history of this country, it's normal, right? Genocide of indigenous peoples, the enslavement of African peoples. They're always powerful people, empires, countries, religions, corporations, dominating, subjugating people who are more vulnerable. It's a world of war, of scarcity, of oppression. Is that normal? It's a critical question because the way that we live in the world depends on the kind of world that we think we live in. It depends on the kind of world that we assume, or we trust, or we fear, or we hope that we live in. So this morning we heard uh, the Beatitudes, start of the most famous speech that Jesus gave, the Sermon on the Mount. And we heard it from uh, the First Nations version, which uh, Barry Frisbee gave me a copy of. Thank you very much, Barry. Creator's blessing rests on the poor, the ones with broken spirits. The good road from above is theirs to walk. Or maybe more familiarly for some of us, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now often when we listen to these familiar words, what we hear is Jesus prescribing behaviors. We read the Beatitudes as if Jesus has given us directions. If you'll act a certain way, then you will be blessed. If you will be poor in spirit, then the kingdom of heaven will be yours. If you will become mournful, then you will be comforted. I remember a number of years ago, there was a, a TV preacher, a genial fellow from Southern California, who preached a sermon on the Beatitudes. He titled it, The Be Happy Attitudes. If you'll have these attitudes, then you will be happy. And I'm guessing that most of the advice he gave wasn't particularly bad, but that's not really what the Beatitudes are about. Grammatically, the Beatitudes are not imperatives. They are indicatives. They're not directive. They are descriptive. Jesus isn't so much telling us how to live as describing what life is like 
in the kingdom of heaven. And you actually hear that more clearly in the version, uh, the First Nations version. Creator's blessing rests on the poor. In other words, Jesus in the Beatitudes is describing what is normal. Now compare this speech that Jesus gives to other famous speeches that we've probably heard along the way. Uh, so it's, it's football season, right? So Vince Lombardi, legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers. Lombardi is famous for saying, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And that's how he encouraged his teams to go out and win championships. A Winston Churchill, World War II, 1940, he gave a speech, we shall fight. And, uh, and you have to imagine Churchill's voice in your mind when you hear this. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Churchill, 1940. A few years back, uh, our family went down to Ashland, to the Ashland Shakespeare Festival. This is back when it was normal not to have to show a vaccine card to get into a performance. Uh, and we, I saw one afternoon, I saw Henry V, uh, the others, they went to see Romeo and Juliet, but I saw Henry V. And there's a very famous speech in Henry V, the St. Crispin's Day speech, because it happens right before a battle that occurs on St. Crispin's Day. Henry is going to lead his troops into battle against the French. They are badly outnumbered. They are weary. They are worn out. They're on French soil. The outlook is bleak. And so on the night before the eve of battle, Henry's cousin Westmoreland says, oh, that we now had but one ten thousand, the men of England that do no work this day. But Henry wants none of it. He says, no, my fair cousin, if we are marked to die, we are enough to do our country loss. And if to live, the fewer men, the greater share of glory. God's will, I pray thee, wish not one man more. And then the speech ends. And again, you kind of have to imagine Kenneth Branagh's voice here because he was the actor who plays this part in the film version. But the speech ends, this story shall the good man teach his son. And Crispin and Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England, all abed, shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap while any speaks that fought with us on St. Crispin's Day. And I'm not kidding, I'm a pacifist, right? I'm a Mennonite pastor sitting there listening to this play. I'm thinking, yeah, I'd go to battle with that guy. I would fight with this guy. Let's go. I mean, it's a very moving speech. It's a very inspiring speech. And historically, uh, Henry's troops beat the French. Of course, they had the strategic advantage of long bows, but it's a speech that inspires us still. The thing is, though, Henry's speech and Churchill's speech and Lombardi's speech, those sound very different, don't they, from Jesus' speech. Now, truthfully, it's kind of hard to make sense of the Beatitudes that Jesus spoke in the world in which we live. Jesus says, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek and the merciful. That doesn't really sound normal. The poor are often left hungry. The mourners are often left to grieve on their own. The meek, well, they're often just steamrolled. Henry's speech, Churchill's, Lombardi's, those make more sense, don't they? 
Their words resonate with the Beatitudes, uh, what, what Barbara Brown Taylor calls the Beatitudes of conventional wisdom. Blessed are the strong, for their enemies shall fear them. Blessed are the rich, for they shall never go hungry. Blessed are the worldly wise, for they shall not be fooled. That's how you make it, given what we've always taken to be normal in the world. Beatitudes of the gospel don't make much sense. Not in a world governed by the conventional wisdom. And that's the point. The Beatitudes only make sense if Jesus is talking about a new world governed in a new way. They only make sense, you know, they only make sense if the world in which we live and move and have our being is being made new through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. They only make sense if what we've always taken to be normal has been and is being upended by the power of God's love, the kind of love that Jesus embodied, Jesus who blessed the poor and comforted the aggrieved and stood with the meek and fed the hungry. Origen, who's an early church uh, theologian, put it this way. Jesus confirms all of the beatitudes he speaks in the gospel, and he justifies his teaching through his own example. When we read the gospels, Jesus will be poor in spirit, and Jesus will mourn, and Jesus will be meek, and he'll be merciful and pure, and at the end, he will be persecuted. He'll be arrested, he'll be unjustly convicted, he'll be tortured, he will be killed. And if that's the end of the story, then the Beatitudes of the Gospel really wouldn't make much sense at all. But it's not the end of the story, is it? God raised Christ from the dead. God was with Jesus. God blessed Jesus. And God continues to bless the poor in spirit, and the merciful, and the pure in heart, and the peacemakers. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is describing the new ways, the new normal of this new world. But it all depends on which speech we're going to listen to. The way we live in the world depends on the kind of world that we think we live in. So do we live in the world of Henry and Churchill and Lombardi, the world of emperors and kings and presidents, a world governed by the beatitudes of the conventional wisdom, a world made possible by violence and fear and pride and greed? Or do we live in the world that Jesus describes in the beatitudes of the gospel? A world born of love, of service, of forgiveness, of mercy, of peacemaking. Which speech are we going to listen to? The speeches that set us one against another? Speeches that revel in the power of our might? Speeches that call us to take by force what is ours? Is that the kind of world that we live in? The world the way it's always been? Or do we think, do we hope, can we trust that we live in the world that Jesus promises being, is being made new by the power of God's love? I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus. I believe what Jesus believed. I believe that peace is normal and that war is the perversion of God's will on earth as in heaven. I believe that abundance is normal and that scarcity is the lie. That we live in a world God created where there is enough for everyone. I believe that the beloved community is normal. And that tribalism and nationalism and racism and oppression and domination is the sin of refusing to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if that's the kind of world that we live in, then it ought to shape the way we live in it.
It ought to shape what becomes the new normal for us. And so in these weeks ahead, we're, we're going to talk about the new normal, rethinking the ways that we live our lives together as followers of Jesus. And we're going to talk about three lenses through which we can look at our lives together um, truthfully, hopefully, redemptively. We're going to talk about reverence and about density and equity in these next few weeks as lenses for viewing our life with God, our life together, our life in the world. And I think each of these will pose questions for us to ask as individuals and as a congregation. We'll also talk about practices, habits to develop that can become the new normal for us over time. And I don't imagine that I or Diane or Kurt have got this all figured out, but I hope that this series will spark good conversations uh, and maybe see even some good controversies because that's how we can be intentional and thoughtful and, and strive to be more faithful uh, about the ways that we live in the world. But on this first Sunday, it begins with this first question. What kind of world do you think we live in? Can you believe the speech of Jesus? Can you believe in Jesus? Well, may God grant us wisdom and courage. Amen.